Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of What Are You Talking About, presented by Fenley Road Sports. My name is Bob. As always, I'm hanging out with my older brother, Chris. Chris, what's going on, man? Not much. Just wrapping up a vacation from work, so had a nice, relaxing week. Watched a lot of tennis, got some stuff done around the apartment. Just a staycation, but it was fun. Yeah, um, we didn't plan it, but we both took vacations, and mine was also a staycation. It was awesome. It was great. Uh, definitely had a lot of chance to watch some sporting events that I probably wouldn't have, the Gold Cup, Wimbledon, so it was, it was really nice as well. But our main topic uh, is something that's been brewing for a couple of weeks now, NBA free agency. I really can't remember a free agency off season from any sport that was that just had this kind of cash getting thrown out and the amount of 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 dollars just getting signed chris uh what what's your initial thought of the first two weeks of free agency in the nba and and where what do you want to start talking about first well the initial thoughts are teams are not afraid to spend this year because the cap is about to skyrocket in the next two years and the biggest takeaway was security trumps greed a lot of people were talking that players would sign shorter deals to capitalize on that cap but if I'm a player and someone's offering me five years, $90 million max contract, to use Jimmy Butler as an example, am I really going to risk an injury for one year just to maybe get $115 million? I'm sorry, man. I'm taking the guaranteed $90 million right up front. So that's what I took away from this. Even though some of these max contracts now are going to benefit the teams as the cap space goes up and the cap increases, make no mistake, these players understand the game, and, and they want the security of a long-term guaranteed contract. And my second takeaway is that the San Antonio Spurs are insane. Bob, this team got the biggest prize in free agency, and they already have arguably the best team in the NBA, even though they finished sixth in the West. Anyone who's a basketball fan knows that that's not a true sixth seed. Bob, what do you think of the Spurs? It was a very uh, op- opposing offseason for the Spurs and, and what you typically expect of them. The fact that they went out and bought a free agent at the max contract to bring in as your next superstar, that's just something that you haven't heard the Spurs doing in, in any run of their dynasty, bringing in a big name like LaMarcus Aldridge. But man, oh man, what what a signing for them. Tim Duncan basically coming back for the sole purpose to transition to the LaMarcus Aldridge era on a $5 million contract after what we saw him do in the playoffs. I mean, he's still got it. So those two guys operating together, LaMarcus Aldridge, 23 points, 11 rebounds last year, just a machine. I, I think he, he's a really smart guy who can definitely play smart, pass-heavy Spurs basketball. So, man, oh man, what what a signing. And I don't you know, they did have to relinquish a few names, a few rights. They made the Tiago splitter trade to clear that cap space, but they did not give up a whole lot. They were able to re-sign Kawhi Leonard onto a max deal, which is definitely deserving. They were able to get Danny D. Green back four years, $45 million. That is is one of the biggest coups of the offseason, that deal, not to mention the veteran minimum contract given to David West, who turned down an $11 million player option to play one more year in Indiana. Instead, he's playing for the Spurs for, I don't know, what is it, Chris, $1.5 million. But, man, this is just a 
a huge coup for the Spurs. They upgraded every position. They cemented their dynasty for another five years. I, it, it's unbelievable just how, how things always fall in their favor. And it's, it's definitely luck is there, but it's also just a great organization that has a great coach, has a great staff and has great players. So, uh, they're, the, the dynasty is not ending when Tim Duncan retires. Certainly not. And the luck of the Spurs came when they won the lottery to get Tim Duncan. That was, what, 16 years ago? After 16 years, it's not just luck. You have to replenish your roster constantly in any sport. We've seen a lot of teams get the big guy but not able to win with the big guy. The Cleveland Cavaliers are currently one of those teams who have had LeBron for eight years now and still haven't won a championship. So it's not just getting the big guy. And the Spurs are one of the best organizations, well-run organizations in all of sports. That Danny Green contract is highway robbery, who, by the way, was a Cleveland Cavalier for a year. They waived him. Still not happy about that. But Danny Green, four years, $45 million deal. You look at the money that was dished out this free agency, and for Green to sign that contract, that contract's going to look so good when that cap goes through the roof. And when can you say that Tim Duncan is your third best player? I mean, he's probably their third best player behind Aldridge and Kawhi Leonard, who look to be the future of that team, along with Danny Green. That's your next big three when Parker, Ginobili, and Duncan eventually go on their way. And Tony Parker's probably not going to go anywhere too soon because I think he's the youngest of the former big three. So now you've got like, what, the big three times three, the huge six or something like that? This team's insane. And David West is coming off your bench making, I believe, $1.5 million veterans minimum. I wanted the Cavs to get him too. You see that the Spurs are beating the Cavs in a lot of these player battles. I'm not too happy about that. But... Yeah, I mean, the Spurs, I know the Warriors just won an NBA championship and return a roster that's relatively unfazed by free agency, but man, the Spurs won big. You can't say, they, they have to be the big winners of this free agency. Yeah, certainly they, they are. Do in fact part to the rest of the max contracts that were dished out, they were all re-signings. I mean, Kevin Love stood in Cleveland, LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, they got their 20 millions with their home teams. Uh, you know, Jimmy Butler in Chicago, Marcus Saul stayed with Memphis. So the big deals were usually with the home teams and LaMarcus Aldridge is, is really the only big, huge contract given to a, a guy changing teams. Right. And Butler was a restricted free agent. So even if he wanted to leave, the Bulls were matching whatever after she, so yeah, there wasn't, there weren't too many pieces on the board, even though there were a lot of free agents, Aldridge was the only one to really change teams. Now, the ramifications of him going to the Spurs benefited two other teams, as we talked about before the show. The Atlanta Hawks get Tiago Splitter and bring back Paul Millsap, but they had to lose Damari Carroll. That squeezed out Damari Carroll to the Raptors, who, as you, you said earlier, got Corey Joseph because the Spurs relinquished his rights. So the sort of residual effect of Aldrich going to the Spurs is that the Hawks and the Raptors got some pretty good improvements to their squad. What are your reactions to those moves? The Hawks are intriguing. Uh, you know, they were really given, they did have the choice to, to re-sign both Carroll and Millsap, but uh, for them, they were only going to choose one and they they chose Millsap, which I think was probably the best move because he was is, was their best player the last year and probably the last two years. And he's, he's just proven that he can play at a high level. Damari Carroll 
had a storybook season last year and has really earned that contract off of just one year. So he's a little bit of a risk, but the Hawks are, will be interesting because I think Damari Carroll was the glue that kept that starting five together. He was, you know, your jack of all trades, small forward a la Draymond Green or Jay Crowder, the guy that could just play multiple positions, guard multiple positions. So it'll be interesting to see how they replace that at the small forward position. Tiago Splitter is a really good backup big for two guys in Paul Millsap and Al Horford who struggle defensively and in rebounding. Splitter is is great in supplementing that. So the Hawks, I th- I'd call it a wash because they still retain most of the core, but Carroll is a big blow. Now Toronto, they lost some pieces in Lewis Williams, who is the defending sixth man of the year, but they added a guy in Corey Joseph who was the third the third point guard for the San Antonio Spurs. He didn't get a lot of playing time because Tony Parker and Patty Mills command a lot of the minutes at the point guard position, but his per 36 numbers are really good. And he's a long, good perimeter defender. I think he will fill in for Lewis Williams and actually be a better defender than what Williams could do behind the oft injured Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan. So I think that's a really good pickup. Then throwing in DeMar Carroll in the mix, they have a really deadly, uh, very athletic perimeter combination at the one, two, and three, uh, when you add Carroll into the mix. So I think the Raptors finally might not be fool's gold in the regular season. They might actually be able to make some plays, win some games in the playoffs. Uh, what were your thoughts about those additions? Well, first off, I like the Toronto moves from a perimeter standpoint. I think Carroll and Joseph definitely helps their perimeter defense and they benefit from the fact that the Atlantic division is the ultimate cream puff division. They can pretty much clinch a playoff spot right now. And go into a top four seed in the East because they have no competition in that division. I still think Toronto is a solid team. We'll talk more about projecting how they're going to do later, but I like the moves for them. I'm going to slightly disagree with you with Atlanta. I love the move getting Splitter. We both love the move, but I actually think that they're better with Splitter, Millsap, and Horford than they were with Horford, Millsap, and Carroll. And here's why. I view Tiago Splitter as coming in and being their starting center, moving Al Horford to the power forward position, and then either moving Millsap to small forward, which would be a bit of an experiment, because in the playoffs he struggled when he was forced to guard LeBron James, but again, that's LeBron James, or coming off the bench, I don't know if you can bring Millsap on the bench. I think I think they're going to try to play him at small forward to get that combination work, because Splitter definitely addresses their interior defense and their rebounding ability right off the bat. I think if you play him at center, Horford is more power forward. That's a deadly one-two punch. If Millsap can stick at the small, you've got a solid lineup. And I also think that don't forget about Thabo Cephalosha. He was lost for the postseason. He's not Damari Carroll, but I think he can do a lot of what Damari Carroll did, maybe minus the shooting. And they're not going to lose as much from... Carroll as they would if they had let Millsap go. So I think all in all, they essentially traded Carroll for Splitter. I think Splitter's going to come in there and be their starting center. I think it's going to make this team better. They, they might not improve from 60 wins, but I think they'll be more positioned to make a deeper one in the postseason. That'll, that'll be interesting to see. I don't think that that should be where you start off with. I think you have a good solid rotation now with Splitter, Horford, and Millsap at your four and five to thin them out like that. I think we'll definitely see it at times, maybe experimenting with a few minutes here and there, but I, I just see them doing a rotation where they they all see uh, really heavy minutes, but 
Uh, only two of them will be on the court at the same time. I, I, Carol is one of those guys. It's hard to judge just how much he contributed. And now's the time to see just exactly how much they'll miss him. I think they're going to miss him a lot more than they think though, but it'll be interesting. I don't think the Hawks are, are going anywhere in the regular season, but I don't think that they drastically improve their roster where they can dominate in the playoffs. I don't think so either, but mainly because I think other teams in the East are going to be better next year. And again, we'll preview all that as we get closer to the season. I like the move for the Hawks. I think they're better positioned, but I also think that they're not going to win more than 60 games next year. And that other team, it's going to be a lot tougher to get through the East next year because I like what a lot of the Eastern Conference did in free agency. There's going to be there's going to be some more competition next year. It's not just going to be a shoe-in. And Cleveland definitely won't be able to get to the NBA Finals if they lose two of their three big stars. Our Cleveland Cavaliers, obviously huge spenders in free agency. They pretty much brought back everyone. Tristan Thompson and J.R. Smith are still out there. But the big one is LeBron James re-signed. Kevin Love re-signed so we can put all that drama to bed. They have Kyrie Irving long-term. Iman Shumpert re-signed. Maz Goff's option was picked up as that was pretty obvious. Bob, what do you think? And, of course, they add Mo Williams in free agency just in case Kyrie Irving goes down. So a very solid backup point guard there. Bob, what are your thoughts of the Cavs? Uh, it, it was a victory. I think the the only the thing that made it a victory was Kevin Love re-upping for five years to Cleveland. And you know, he did no, it right away. Yeah, he took no meetings, took no drama. He stuck true to his word. So anybody that listened to what he said and then made a report that he's leaving, uh, you have to feel foolish at this point. I mean, he never said, he never wavered in his commitment. And I, it just made me so happy that day one, five-year contract, I'm staying with the Cavs for five years. The Cavs, I mean, LeBron has his one-year deals, but he's not going anywhere. Their core is locked up for the next four years at least. Uh, Mozgov does, is entering free agency next year, but they will be able to uh, address that later. But they have Thompson, Shumpert, LeBron, Love, and Irving all locked up for the next four years. I'm assuming that Thompson, as a restricted free agent, he's coming back whenever they come back down to earth with his contract. But Oh, he's coming back. If he signs an offer sheet, Cleveland's matching. So he's not going anywhere. It's just a matter of how much he's going to get paid. Sorry. Yeah, certainly. <laughs> so they're... They're, they they are set you know the only remove the only revolving pieces are that bench and when you have three superstars a guy in Shumpert who can play a lot of minutes you don't really need a lot of depth in bench in the bench so I I see them being successful for the next four years at least they are set to be the top team in the Eastern Conference for for the foreseeable future so I'm excited I think it was a great off season bringing everyone back why wouldn't you you got to the to the finals with five of those guys bring them all back get them healthy get their minutes down in the regular season because now you have a full season of continuity with that group that was so good from january to june it's it's going to be a great season for cleveland there's no doubt in my mind that they're getting to the eastern conference finals again for sure yeah and there's no doubt in my mind that they've got another move coming with that 10 and a half million expiring contract from brandon haywood that's still out there I wouldn't be surprised if they picked up his option and made it fully guaranteed just to keep an expiring contract on their roster for potentially a trade deadline move or something along those lines. I don't think well, they're going to waive that contract. They're, they're definitely not waiving that contract. They're also definitely not paying him that money. I think at this point, they 
the the well has dried up and there wasn't as much interest in the contract as they thought i think they're going to trade it for a trade exception and just wait for the off for the trade deadline to actually make that into a player um there just isn't really a market for a 10 million dollar player to come in uh to swap out at this point so i think that 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 is just going to be a trade exception where they'll add in the at the trade deadline when there's actually some sellers that want to shed shed cap space yeah they almost turned that contract into tiago splitter and patty mills the spurs balked at that when the cap projection started coming down so if the nba salary cap had been a little tighter they may have been able to squeeze him for splitter and mills a move that i would have just loved because i was not happy when david west got away because anderson varejo is not going to stay healthy next year and i don't think kyrie irving is going to stay healthy next year in fact i think kyrie irving should only play 40 games in the regular season let mo williams take a lot of regular season minutes those are the two guys I'm most worried about being injured, so they need some depth for there. That's why I loved the Mo Williams addition. I think if Irving has a setback like he's had all throughout his career, Mo Williams is not as big of a drop-off as Matthew Delvadova was, at least on the offensive end. Kevin Love's injury was a fluke injury. He is relatively healthy other than that one year. I think it was two years ago where he missed about 60 games or so. If Love and LeBron are healthy... With Mo Williams or Irving at point, I think this team is by far the favorite in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, you have to consider them the favorite for sure. Even if they don't make any more additions, even if J.R. Smith doesn't come back, they have to be the favorite, uh, definitely. I actually think J.R. Smith is finding that the market on him is not as strong as he thought it was. I think he'll be back too. I think him and Tristan Thompson are both coming back, and they're going to flip that contract for another valuable piece maybe when they get an injury or something. But I think they're definitely they're definitely going to be more moves to to be made by Cleveland. But, as I said before, the Eastern Conference is going to be tougher. And one team that I'm keeping my eye on is Miami. They brought back everyone, even Luol Dang. They added Justice Winslow, who is not even going to start. He's coming off the bench with the number 10 pick. And then they added Amari Stoudemire to a minimum deal. Man, Bob, is this team a serious threat in the Eastern Conference? I think they certainly are. They're definitely a threat to be a top-four team. Uh, they traded for Goran Dragic. Two days later, Chris Bosh is out for the season with his uh, medical issue. So that starting lineup hasn't played together, and now they're going to get a full year of continuity. I think it'll be scary. I think Hassan Whiteside is, is a guy, is a key to it. Uh, was he a fluke and they also added Gerald Green so they now actually have a legitimate bench in Chalmers Green Stoudemire and Justice Winslow so yeah they're, they're coming the issue with them as always is health uh, even Dragic is is past 30 and they gave him a max deal so to see if that group Dragic, Bosch, Dang and Wade all have health issues now can they actually stay healthy? Can they keep the continuity together to, into the playoffs? That's a big question mark, but they are certainly coming. They are certainly making the playoffs with the additions, with the re-signings that they made. Oh, certainly. And Stoudemire isn't the epitome of health either. So you're right. Uh, on paper right now, they look really deep, but you know injuries are going to pick that team off a little bit. The guy really to watch is Dwayne Wade, who you know, hasn't. he's still an explosive player. He's still an excellent player, but injuries have definitely slowed him down. And with that in mind, I mean, do you think it was wise for him to only sign a one-year deal? No, I don't think so. It was really, I thought it was really interesting that after all the drama, he didn't opt into his contract and he he opted out and all he got was a one-year $20 million deal. I think that's going to work two ways. I think one, he just wants the satisfaction of 
of making $20 million finally. I mean, he has never been the highest paid player on the Heat, which is hard to imagine, but he did bring that upon himself a little bit. Uh, I think Riley sold him the idea that Kevin Durant is coming or some, somebody's coming next year, which I find it hard to hard to swallow as well. I just think he, he wanted to get paid, and I think he just wants to see what the roster looks like in 2016, and that's possibly a time when all right, he got his $20 million from the Heat, and now maybe he's looking to move teams and chase another title because I, I don't know. Why did why wouldn't he take a, a three-year, $15 million a year deal that would that would secure his, his comfort, his financial stability? Instead, he's got a one-year, $20 million deal for Dwayne Wade, 32 injury issues. Uh, that, that was a risky move. It really surprised me. Yeah, I think it's a risky move, but you brought up a good point. Maybe he just wants to get the satisfaction of being a high-paid guy for one year, and then he's more open to take a longer-term discount next year or something like that. The whole logic of going after Kevin Durant puzzles me because, yeah, the cap space is going up next year, but newsflash, the cap's going up for everyone next year, so everyone's going to have cap space, and that means the maximum contract's going to go up with it. So just because the Heat get more cap space next year doesn't mean that they're going to be able to offer Kevin Durant the max that he wants when they already have Goran Dragic and Chris Bosh tied up on these big contracts. So, yeah, I, I don't understand the move right now. I think next year it'll make more sense to see what the next contract he signs. To see, I mean, heck, if he gets hurt seriously, this is a cold industry. The Miami Heat are not going to bring him back if he has a serious injury. Maybe they'll show him some loyalty and bring him back on a small deal, but they're not going to overpay for him. Pat Riley went toe-to-toe with him. He said, look, man, I know you're the franchise player, but I'm not about to just give you whatever you want. I don't know if that miffed him a little bit or not, but certainly you know, the year before they lost LeBron James because they uh, pinched some pennies and he called them out in that press conference and whatnot. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out next year. I think more, more will be revealed next year when Dwayne Wade signs the next contract. But as for the Heat right now, if this team can avoid major injuries, they're going to have some injuries, but if they can avoid being just completely snake bit by them, I think they're a serious threat to win the East. Definitely. They definitely have the talent. Uh, we, we're, we're talking about a lot of teams in the East that added some talent, but I don't think any is is going to be more improved than the Miami Heat next year, just with the trades they made last trade deadline and then the additions. Yeah, health willing they're definitely a team to watch well i know the oscars are in the winter in february but there was some drama going down this free agency <laughs> and none of it involved kevin love it all involved the guy who can't shoot his free throws deandre jordan i'm sure all you nba fans have heard by now the committal non-committal mark cuban's miffed all this fun stuff chandler parsons sore about not being able to recruit his buddy Bob, who was uh, just just for a brief overview? DeAndre Jordan committed to Dallas, but couldn't sign a contract till July 10th because of the NBA's uh, you know memorandum. So during that period, the Clippers convinced him to resign with them. Mark Cuban's miffed. He wasn't even talking to Mark Cuban. Didn't have any communication with him. Didn't even tell him what was going on. Bob, who was in the right? Who was in the wrong? And do you like this ten day sort of freeze period? This sort of purgatory period between free agency beginning and contracts signing i don't think anybody is in the right 
um, DeAndre Jordan, I guess, is because he didn't break any rules or sign anything. He is totally in the right to sign, to make any decision he wants to. Uh, the way he did it is is totally in the wrong. The Clippers are in the wrong for being such such baby about babies about his decision. Cuban is freaking out on cyber dust. Have you? That's his his mode of communicating now. He he called out Chris Broussard. He refuses to acknowledge DeAndre Jordan's existence now. Uh, just the stories that are coming out. It's completely laughable on the surface, but when you think about it. There's a 10-day window from the announcement of your contract. If you if you announce your contract July 1st to actually signing it, does this give teams inspiration to 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 just totally disregard people's words that they're signing with another team and then for the next 10 days just hound them? I think it's definitely a slippery slope and it's not the first time a person a player has reneged on their verbal agreement. Carlos Boozer comes to mind. Hito Turkoglu comes to mind. But this is definitely the most publicized and the most bizarre. The fact that Steve Ballmer, Doc Rivers, and a bunch of Clippers players locked themselves into Jordan's house, refusing to let him com- communicate with his agent or Mark Cuban or anybody else, that's a little ridiculous. That's something that you find happening in college football recruiting not in the NBA when these guys are grown men with millions of dollars. The thing is is very strange, and it sheds some light on what I think is a flaw in the NBA system. They need to short the shrink that window. If you announce a deal, you should have the right to sign it right then because I, it, it just doesn't make sense to me. The, the Mavericks had no clue that, that the Clippers were coming, and then they had no chance to, to state their case. It's, that's completely not fair. Uh, just imagine if... LeBron announced his decision and Cleveland in 2010 or Miami in, in 2014 or were, were able to reconvince him to, to resign like that. It, it it's, it's a very slippery slope and I'm really concerned about it. It needs to be fixed uh, next off season. Yeah. This is the only free agency where they sort of say, okay, you can tap your feet in the water, but not jump all the way in In baseball, the doors open, they can sign. In football, the door's open, they can sign. Why is there a 10-day period in basketball? Why can't, well, they, they, well, why can't they calculate the cap the week before? Yeah, no, it's, that's, that is the, the most ridiculous thing. The teams are operating on the assumption that the cap was $66.5 million. It turns out it's $70 million. The Spurs, yeah, that's ridiculous. The Spurs dumped contracts to clear space for a max deal they actually might have been able to retain Corey Joseph if they wanted to. They the, the Phoenix Suns traded away four guys to try and sign LaMarcus Aldridge. They might have been able to keep one of those guys. It's ridiculous that the the league operates without knowing all the information. It's, it, that is the most ridiculous part that definitely needs to be fixed, especially heading into next year when nobody has any idea what the exact cap number is going to be next year. Their projections of $80 million, $90 million, some people say 100 So how are you going to operate in that first week having no idea what the what the cap situation is? It needs to be addressed this year. Yeah, I mean, it's been what? About a month? No, three weeks since the NBA Finals. Ten of those days in free agency. So you're telling me in 11 days you can't calculate the cap? I mean, what changed from the end of the NBA Finals to the start of free agency that you can't calculate the cap? How is can that not be done in those 11 days 
instead of these 10 or 11 days. It makes zero sense. Yeah, it definitely makes zero sense. I think the NBA, uh, amazingly, that this isn't hasn't been an issue every year where teams just refuse to take no for an answer. Yeah, I find that amazing. But this one, just the way it went down, the the publicity of it, the bitterness of it after the fact, there definitely has to be changes. Cuban is a very influential owner. You guarantee he's gonna be whooping and hollering until they change this this deal because. The, the Mavs are really screwed now. I mean, DeAndre Jordan and Wes Matthews, that's a actually good pairing. They got Wes Matthews on a cheap deal because DeAndre was coming. Now they're paying Wes Matthews almost a max contract, a guy coming off an Achilles heel injury. I mean, the, it really screwed the Mavs over, and they had no time to recover. So the change definitely needs to come. But let's... um. DeAndre Jordan himself. I mean, is this guy really worth all all the fret? I mean, I thought that eighty million dollars for four years from the Mavs was a lot for a guy that I really don't know his impact. W- not playing with Chris Paul, I think Chris Paul makes him really, really good. Without him on a Mavs team that really doesn't have a point guard, I mean, I did not think that was a good move. And then coming back to the Clippers, I find it also interesting that. The Clippers didn't even give him a max deal at the end. They gave him a four-year, $84 million contract. It was like they gave him just a little bit more than what the Mavs offered. I, the whole thing is just bizarre to me. Very bizarre. And to answer your question, I equate DeAndre Jordan to a probably slightly more athletic Ben Wallace. Very strong defensively. Not as much of a liability offensively, except both terrible free-throw shooters. And when Ben Wallace signed that huge contract with Chicago, his career went down the down the toilet. I mean, he was Detroit. He was in a system that worked, and he was awesome in that system. Then he goes to Chicago, yeah. and he fell apart. Came to Cleveland, and it still wasn't the same. DeAndre Jordan needs to be on the Clippers. He should have realized that from the get-go. I don't think going to Dallas would have been the worst thing in the world for him because you saw what Tyson Chandler did playing alongside Dirk Nowitzki. He had a fantastic year, and they won the NBA title. So I certainly think he could have had success there. But, again, I just go back to that Ben Wallace situation. The second he left Detroit, his career just went downhill. He was an elite defender. He won, I think, Defensive Player of the Year four times. I mean, something ridiculous like that. Maybe it was only two or three. But either way, Ben Wallace was Detroit, and then he left. Now, DeAndre Jordan isn't the Clippers, but I certainly think that he's much better on the Clippers than he is on any other team. Yeah, definitely. Uh, this What what happened with the Clippers this offseason, the reports that Chris Paul, uh, we've all know, we've we, he's gone from feisty competitor to the last two years and now now to being almost sociopathic and a whiner. I mean, he does Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan things without the rings. And the fact that he basically terrorized DeAndre Jordan into leaving, which is one part him, one part DeAndre Jordan just being immature. I don't I don't think this Clippers team is ever going to be a successful team in the West. They're just they're between him, Paul, and Blake Griffin, and now you have Lance Stevenson. Uh this is a team full of head cases that I don't think that they are ever going to be able to have the mental fortitude to beat a team like the Spurs or the Warriors. Or any, I mean, the Western Conference is loaded. If they were in the East, sure, they, they'd be a, a lot, it'd be a lot easier path. But in the West, it's, they've got, they've got to go through so many heavyweights. 
that the margin for error is so thin. And you're right. I mean, sometimes getting three superstars isn't enough. You saw the Knicks try to do it with Anthony and Amari Stoudemire and then sort of add Tyson Chandler. It just never worked out with those two big guys. And you saw it in L.A. when they went after Nash and Howard and Gasol and Bryant and that team fell apart. It's not just getting the superstars together. It's getting the right superstars together. Now, I do think this combination can work because it's very complementary basketball-wise with Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan. I think it's a very good team on paper talent-wise. The question is, can the chemistry come together? Can they play to their full potential? Because in any team sport, your team chemistry is more than the sum of its parts. They have to fit together at some point. And if the Clippers can't figure that out, they will never beat the Warriors or the Spurs. And, you know, who who knows who else. But the Warriors and the Spurs are the gold standard of the West right now. And the Clippers and everyone else, are uh, there's a drop-off between them. But Dallas did kind of get a consolation prize in Darren Williams as a replacement for Rajon Rondo. So they go from Rondo, who couldn't work with Rick Carlisle, to Williams, who reportedly has clashed with almost every single coach in his career. Do you think this is a good fit? Uh, it's a it's a good way to save face after striking out DeAndre Jordan. Um, he's come in to them on a on a relatively inexpensive deal. If he can find something to resalvage the career that was once thought to be better than Chris Paul's career. Uh, they'll be onto something because he's from Texas. He almost signed with Dallas instead of New Jersey at the time. Um, he asked, he was begging the Nets to to release him to to go to Dallas this year. So uh, it could work out. He's just not the player that he was. So I don't. I the Mavs went from probable playoff team with DeAndre Jordan and Wes Matthews to probably the. 10th or 9th best team in the West. I don't think they're making the playoffs with with uh, with Zaza, Pachulia, and Darren Williams and Wes Matthews as your big additions. I don't see it happening. Yeah, this isn't a preview show, but I think Portland's going to fall, Oklahoma City's going to rise, and other than that, I don't see too many teams in the bottom part of the West challenging for a playoff spot. So I think Dallas, again, will be in that 6-9 to nine range. Maybe Phoenix gets it together. Maybe Minnesota develops really fast. But other than that, I don't see a lot of teams challenging for a spot. So right now, I'd have to say that the Mavericks will probably get a 7-8 seed again. But what's that get you? A date with the Warriors or the Spurs? Uh, not, not, not. Don't like those chances very much. But, hey, Bob, you want to know what's funny, though? Is that we have gone almost 35 minutes here. And we haven't mentioned the Knicks, the Lakers... Or the Celtics. Okay, technically I mentioned the Lakers, but in the past, not as far as their free agency goes. Do you love that the big market teams that everyone just kind of assumed all these stars would flock to completely whiffed, not just in free agency, but all three of them, in my opinion, whiffed on the draft too? Yeah, it's it's. I love it. Um, growing up in a small market town, I, I absolutely love it because all I've heard about is, you know, f- from the time LeBron signed his 06 extension that he was going to New York. And New York was never never even close to signing him. And New York ap- wasn't even mentioned on his decision. He didn't even mention the Knicks. Right. Uh, big market appeal is is no more. 
with in the Twitter age, in the mass contracts, TV contracts, the exposure, big market appeal doesn't matter. In fact, big market appeal hurts these guys in that the taxes are so high in those places. They can actually make more money on their deals other in, in other places and winning in this day and age is the ultimate marketability factor. So why would you go to any of these, any of these awful teams when you could sign with Milwaukee, when you could sign with Cleveland, when you could sign with, I don't know, Miami. Uh, yeah, it, it, I love it. Uh, the, the Knicks, man, they preach so much about adding max deals, adding players. They did absolutely nothing. Robin Lopez is a non-factor in my opinion. Porzingis. And Porzingis, yeah. We'll see how that works out. Uh, the Knicks were awful. The Celtics are getting praised for trading Gerald Wallace for David Lee, which I guess is good for clearing cap space. Now you have two max contracts next year. Who are you going to bring in next year? Uh, take a look at the free agency list next year. It's not as sexy as it was supposed to be. Uh they're, they they definitely whiffed on some things. David Lee is a non-factor. I don't. I it it's marginal. The Lakers uh, might have lucked out in not adding a max contract. They were desperate to add somebody. I kind of like some of the moves they did. I mean, Lewis Williams is a scorer. Roy Hibbert, if he can, I think the Pacers just threw him under the bus a little bit and caused him to to regress because they didn't want him on the team. If he can come back to form, that's a really good center. So I, the Lakers were okay, but they, they talked big game just like the other big markets in signing a max deal, and they struck out every which way. It's definitely funny. It's hilarious. Let me clarify a couple things. I like Terry Rozier. I don't like him on the Celtics. I like, I, I'm not super high on D'Angelo Russell. I think he'll be solid. I don't think he'll be a superstar. But doesn't the passing on Jaleo Locafor look even more silly now that they had to trade for Roy Hibbert? Now, if Russell becomes a superstar with Julius Randle, Roy Hibbert, and one year of Kobe Bryant, that could be a solid team. So I agree with you. I think the Lakers did the best of the three in trading for Roy Hibbert. And if Russell is what people think, maybe not what I think, but what people think, certainly they could come out of it all right. But I just think that after trading for Roy Hibbert, it's like, wow, you passed on Jaleo Locafor, who I thought was the best player in the draft. I'd rather have him than Hibbert. Again, the Celtics trading for David Lee, a nice save face move, but they didn't get anyone of that's going to move the needle. David Lee is an okay player, should improve their scoring a little bit, at least in the low post. But again, it not not something strong. And again, Terry Rozier now they got like what five or six guards. I mean, that's a they already had a long jam log jam at the guard position. Now they're going to have another one. The Knicks are the ultimate winners in the loser department. They don't win the lottery. Don't even get a top three pick. They have to draft Crispus Porzingis and Phil Jackson, the Zen master who promised the world, promised everything, strikes out big time. If you're a Knicks fan, it is not good times for you because you were promised Greg Monroe and you got Porzingis. And how bad is it that Monroe chose the Milwaukee Bucks? over the New York Knicks. I love it. But, I mean, if you're a Knicks fan, that's got to sting extra. Oh, certainly has to sting extra. Um, but that's an excellent signing for the Bucks. Uh, I love it. A, a great young team. We talked about Danny Green's four-year, $45 million contract. They had to sign Middleton to a five-year, $70 million deal. Relatively, they're pretty much the same 
bring the same tool sets to the table. Uh, but I love it. They're spending money wisely and smartly and keeping their young core intact. Jabari Parker has yet to play an NBA game. They're, they're no, good. No, no. Jabari I mean, Parker played about 24, 25 games before he got hurt. Oh, I thought I thought that was summer league, but no, no, yeah, he was averaging about twelve and a half through January, and then towards ACL. So he he's played and he looked good, but again, he's got to recover from that injury. Okay, well, he still has potential. He's shown the potential. Uh, Greg Monroe's awesome. Giannis, I love that guy. Giannis, Chris Middleton, you like Michael Carter Williams? I'm not so sold on him, but that's hey, a really like, good. I'm sorry, I like Michael Carter Williams as your third best player. Yeah, uh, I don't. I don't. I don't think. <laughs> okay. can, I don't think. I don't think he can score the ball. They're they're going to be a great with Greg Monroe coming onto the team. They're going to be absolutely impossible to score the ball against. They're going to be awesome defensively with Greg Monroe and Michael Carter Williams on the court. Scoring the ball is going to be hard. So, uh, give give and take, I guess. But defensively, they're going to be awesome, and I, I'm gonna. I'm that's going to be a, a really fun team to watch. And if Jabari Parker turns into the scorer, the elite scorer that he was branded, they will have a guy who can take over a game. And Monroe is not a slouch offensively either. That's a really deadly one-two punch if Parker's healthy. I like Carter Williams. I'm not going to give up on him, especially with Jason Kidd, the point guard whisperer, whispering in his ears. I think he'll develop. I like that trio. They are a good young team, probably the most intriguing team in the East. And I think... They're, they probably are the biggest winners in the East as far as free agency goes. You got to like what they did in the playoffs, play, playing the Bulls so well. I think the East got a lot deeper, mainly because Milwaukee made some smart moves. Miami brought some guys back. And now Indiana, even though they traded Hibbert, adds Monte Ellis and maybe can finally get another offensive guy to go along with Paul George, who didn't play last year. Or at least he came back late, but he didn't play for most of the year because of that injury with Team USA. Indiana could be back to form next year, even though they traded Roy Hibbert. Chicago, as we said, didn't lose Jimmy Butler, but they did a great value pick in Bobby Portis. I still think they have a trade in them with all those big guys. Do you think this division, along with Cleveland, is the second toughest division behind the Southwest? Yeah, I could see it. I could definitely see it. Um, Milwaukee is definitely a great number two team. I'm not so sold on Indiana. You lost a lot in David West and Roy Hibbert in the post. Yeah, I forgot who, about West. I'm sorry about that. I forgot about West. Yeah, I don't know who is going to guard down there low. I, I couldn't name you the, another post player down there. So they're certainly going to score the ball a lot with George and Ellis and, and uh, George Hill. That's a great perimeter. But uh, as we see in the playoffs and in tight games, you need some, some post beef down there. Um, I'm not so sold on them, but Chicago – they're, if they're healthy, they're a great team. And so now you have three really good teams in the Bucks, Bulls, and Cavs. Yeah, they are certainly one of the best divisions in basketball now, kind of overnight. And I think Chicago, like I said before, I think they have a trade in them. They've got five post guys now with Portis. I think someone's going to get moved to improve somewhere else. But certainly it's going to be exciting to see the East. I think the Eastern Conference is going to be a lot more competitive this year than it was last year. I think a lot of teams in the East improved, and I hope that some of the parity sort of swings that way. I'm sick and tired of the West dominating year in and year out. I want to see a more more even NBA than we've had over the last few years. Yeah, no, me too. It's It's been like that for a really long time, but uh, the East is certainly getting better, definitely getting better. 
All right, man. Any last thoughts for free agency? Uh, the Sacramento Kings continue to puzzle me. Uh, <laughs> George Carl and Demarcus Cousins. Why would you hire Carl if you didn't like Cousins? Why haven't you traded Cousins if you're listening to George Carl? Uh, why did you trade Nick Stauskas, Carl Landry, and Jason Thompson to clear $16 million in cap space this offseason to sign nobody? Uh, why did you sign Rajon Rondo to a one-year $10 million deal when you already have one head case in DeMarcus Cousins? They just, I, 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 they're, they are one of the most dysfunctional franchises in all of basketball. Certainly. Uh, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's just, it's a competitive category in the dysfunction era. The Knicks fans might argue with you there, but yeah, Sacramento definitely, um, I have no idea what they're doing. But I think we've exhausted NBA free agency for the most part. So let's go over to another sport. Let's go across the pond. Big moments in Wimbledon this year. A lot of history being made with Serena Williams completing her second Serena Slam. She won the French Open in 2002 through the Australian Open in 2003. So this is the second time in her career she has held all four Grand Slams at one time. But this time is a little different because now she has a shot at the real thing, the Grand Slam. The last player, men's or women's, to win a Grand Slam was Steffi Graf in 1988. For some perspective, only three women and two men have won a Grand Slam in singles, Maureen Connolly in 1953, Margaret Court in 1970, and Steffi Graf in 1988, Don Budge in 1938, and Rod Laver twice in 62 and 1979. Connolly and Budge won theirs prior to the Open Era, and Rod Laver won his first prior to the Open Era, which began at the 1968 French Open. For those of you who don't know, the Open Era prior to that only amateurs were allowed to play in Grand Slam tournaments, so some of the best professionals in the world were not allowed to play in the tournament. Bob, do you think Marie? Do you think that she's going to do it? Do you think she's going to win the U.S. Open? Yeah, I, def- I, I think she is. Uh, I don't. She hasn't. I don't think she's been challenged a whole lot. I don't think there's a, a suitable challenger to to beat her. Uh, I, I I think I think she's going to do it. Certainly, I, I think she's going to do it. Yeah, and let's just put this in perspective, too. Maria Sharapova is regarded as the second-best player on the tour, even though she's ranked number four right now or was seeded number four. Sharapova is 120-39 and 39 against the other members of the top 25 heading into Wimbledon. She did not play two of those other 23 players. She has a winning record over every single one of them. Against Serena Williams, she is 2-18. and 18. She has not beaten Serena Williams since 2004, and she has lost 17 straight. Wow. That is her number one rival right there. Now, I would argue that her actual biggest competition is Victoria Azarenka, who has played her very tough in the last two Grand Slams in the third third round of the French and the quarterfinals of Wimbledon, won the first set both times, had chances to win in the second set, but couldn't pull it off and lost in three. She was the last player to be ranked number one before Williams took it from her on February 18, 2013. The reason she is not ranked in the top 20 or didn't enter Wimbledon ranked in the top 20, she was ranked 23rd, but she will rise after this tournament, was because she missed most of 2014 with a foot injury. She is the one of the three best players on the tour, and I think right now the one most equipped to beat her. 
However, if you look at the last two matches, she still couldn't do it. And Serena Williams, with that big serve, going into the hardcore season, I just can't see anybody beating her except for an injury or just her completely losing focus. Though, I will say, though, this uh, Garbiana, Gar- Garbina, excuse me, Margaruza looked pretty loose and relaxed early, and she actually won the first game on Serena's serve. But then Williams broke back at 4-4 and won 9 out of 10, went up 5-1. Then uh, Margaruza broke back to make it 5-4. She broke her twice when Serena was up 5-1 in the second set. But then Serena broke her to win the championship. So this woman was, clearly wasn't intimidated, and she beat Serena Williams in the second round of the 2014 French Open. So Serena's not invincible, but I would be shocked if she doesn't pull off the history and not only wins the Grand Slam, but ties Steffi Graf for the most major championships in the Open era with 22. She would still be two behind Margaret Court's 24 all-time. Yeah, I think... I think um... The one of the things we've seen with Serena Williams is just her focus at times being off, and that's the reason why she hasn't, she wasn't, she 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 would lose at times. I think she's focused right now. I think she has her eyes on this Grand Slam. She's riding momentum. She sees that the competition is is lagging. This is her time, and uh, I think it's a shame that not a lot of people are as excited about it as you or I or tennis fans, she's just not getting a lot of recognition right now. And I wish that that would change. Certainly. And I certainly think that more Americans, I I do think she gets a lot of support in the States, but you know, I I do think it should be more recognized than maybe it is. Um, Though I don't think it's, it's terribly underreported. I think that it's still pretty, I think it's still out there pretty well, but over the men's final as well, there was some history, no matter who won. Obviously, Roger Federer trying to pad his lead on Grand Slams. He failed. Novak Djokovic beat him in four sets, winning Wimbledon over Federer for the second year in a row. It is his sixth, or excuse me, ninth Grand Slam and third Wimbledon. He is now alone for fifth all-time in the Open Era. Only four guys in the Open Era have won 10 slams, and that's Federer, 17, Rafael Nadal and Pete Sampras at 14, and Bjorn Borg at 11. Rod Laver won six in the Open Era and six prior to it, so 12 total. Roy Emerson won 12 prior to the Open Era, and Bill Tilden won 10 prior to the Open Era. I think Djokovic has cemented himself as one of the five best tennis players of all time. He has been completely dominant he is 20 and 1 this year in grand slam matches one match away from having three slams in his pocket heading into the u.s open just like serena and he's won four of the five atp master series tournaments which are the nine tournaments right below the grand slam i've said that federer is going to win one more wimbledon but with djokovic playing so well i don't see djokovic at 28 years old going away anytime soon no definitely not um yeah, he's he's definitely uh, playing really good tennis as well. Um, what were your thoughts about the match? I thought the match was epic. I thought it swung in the third. I thought the rain delay affected the game a little bit. But all in all, I just think Federer, he's turning 34 in August. I just don't think he can handle Djokovic in his prime. I mean, you saw him wearing down a little bit as the match went on. Djokovic had an easier time with Federer's serve in the third and fourth sets, even though the first two went to tie breaks and were fantastic. The second set tie break was 12-10. So it was a fantastic match, but 
I think you're seeing Joker. I think this match was all about Djokovic in his prime asserting his dominance over the world of men's tennis. Yeah, definitely. I think he's he's definitely the best player in tennis right now and is in is definitely in full swing right now heading into the US Open. There's another tournament across the pond starting this Thursday. It's the British Open or the Open as they call it. And an American has another shot at a Grand Slam. A big year for Grand Slams in golf and tennis. But Jordan Spieth, pursuit of a Grand Slam continues. Bob, are you going to watch this? I mean, because this is kind of cool. Yeah, I'm going to try my best to watch it. Uh, it's hard to to devote all that time to watch the whole event. But I'm gonna, I'm definitely going to tune in. I'm gonna, definitely going to keep track as much as I can because uh, it's a great story. And if he can win another one, I think... Uh, it's going to be something really special for golf and for American golfers because uh, Tiger Woods, I don't think he's he's got it anymore. And, and now we have a hopeful in Jordan Spieth. If he comes and, and wins his third one, man, that would be an amazing story. Right. I mean, even if he doesn't win, he's arrived. I mean, he's got two slams in his pocket, two in a row. He's certainly having a fantastic year. But you're right. If he wins this one... Man, the PGA Tour, I mean, they always get good ratings, but they're going to love having an American chasing down the Grand Slam, just like the U.S. Open, I'm sure, is licking its chops at Serena Williams, a high-profile U.S. tennis player, chasing down the Grand Slam in uh, September or around Labor Day weekend. So, yes, it's definitely an exciting time for American women's tennis and um, American golf. Uh, the men's American men, as I wrote on the blog, I I don't see another American men's tennis player coming up in the singles ranks anytime soon with the uh, guys like Djokovic dominating so far. But who knows? Maybe there's some guys in the pipeline. I heard a, a junior American player won the uh, American or Wimbledon juniors this this year. So hopefully that guy, will, a couple years, will get back up into the rankings and start carrying the flag for the USA a little bit. Yeah, certainly. I'm looking at pictures of me. That kind of looks like Zac Efron. <laughs> you're talking about speed yeah <laughs> cool cool but hey um one last thing home run derby this week all-star game this week in baseball is this something that still interests you because i'm kind of lukewarm on all-star games nowadays um the mlb all-star game i like to watch because it's a game there's not really the pitchers probably take a little bit off of it but it's still a game. It's still a competitive game, and it has actual say on the World Series. The Home Run Derby, I love. I love to watch it. It just takes way too long, and they have way too many people talking. It, it needs to be a lot quicker, but they turn it into like a four-hour affair. Uh, to be honest, I'm going to watch it again. I'm probably not going to watch the whole thing because it just drags on. Heck, I'd do cartwheels if it was four hours. Sometimes it's like six or it feels like six hours. That's my biggest problem with the home run derby. It used to be my favorite of the side competitions before an all-star game, you know, like three-point shootout, slam dunk, and all that stuff. But it's just way too long. There's just too much downtime, too many commercial breaks. It's just, come on, man, just send some guys up, hit the home runs, and be done with it. I mean, I understand why Josh Hamilton's took long. He hit like 30 in one try. But other than that, it shouldn't be taking this long i I agree with you man i I think they need to compress the home run derby a little bit i think they're gonna time them this year yeah i did hear that there's a timing but it's it's not the actual hitting of the home runs it's everything in between it's the commercial breaks it's the breaks to interviews 
the hitting of the home runs doesn't need to be quicker. I'm fine if they want to take some pitches. It's it's everything around it. They just they're just trying to make too much money off the advertising. Right. No, I agree with that. They need to just trim some of the fat off, and it'll be fine. But all right, man, we jammed a lot into this podcast. A lot of lot to talk about in the world of NBA free agency. Some special stuff happening at Wimbledon, and some stuff to look forward to that we'll probably get to on our next con podcast we didn't talk about the u.s men's soccer team but they're still competing in the gold cup they've secured a spot in the quarterfinals and probably will have a nice easy match on monday that they're not going to take too seriously tune up for the quarterfinals so we'll be back to talk about all that next week on what are you talking about but until then thank you all for your support please follow us on twitter fenley rd sports Please follow us on Instagram, Fenley R-O-A-D Sports. Bob had a nice meme about DeAndre Jordan on there. Check that out. And please come back and support our podcast. Subscribe via iTunes. Come back to the website, FenleyRoadSports.com. We'll have some more content on the blogs for you as well. And thank you again for listening, and we'll see you next week. All right, Chris, I'll talk to you soon. All right, man. Take it easy, Bob.